for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse alone has probably been responsible for the conversion of millions upon millions of people all around the world. What a solid and wonderful and concise picture of the love of God, the salvation of Jesus, and and the hope we all have in Christ. And It's something we can hold on to and love and enjoy, but it's something we we need to, at times, I think, take a deeper look at and maybe maybe even look at several of the words, because what we're going to do this morning as, as we have the time. And first, we're going to begin with the word for God. For God. Who? Well, John is clearly speaking here about the God he speaks of in his entire gospel. The God that he knew personally through Jesus Christ. The God of the universe. The God who has always been and will always be. The God who has an absolute righteous character in nature that cannot be changed. We can't, what I'm saying is, we can't project upon God what we think God ought to be. And the world does that a lot. The world would take this verse, say, for God, and then they would say, well, God must be, and then fill in the gaps. He, he, God couldn't send anybody to hell. God wouldn't do anything like that. And we project on God our own morality, our own vision. We just, he's sort of a whiteboard on which much of the world just writes whatever they want. But when God, when John is speaking here about God, he's speaking about the one true God, the Yahweh God, the God who always has been and always will be. And we talk about the sun, we'll, we'll talk about that concept as well a little deeper. But he is God who is righteous. All that he does is righteous. His character is righteous. He, he cannot sin. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot look upon sin. And yet, here we all are, as, as Dan said this morning, even those of us who are Baptists living in Pleasant Hill and going to church on Sunday morning, we can't even get to church without sinning in some way, being grumpy or complaining or greedful and angry or bitter or whatever or just not as worshipful as we ought to be just not as reliant on christ as we ought to be for all of sin and come short of the glory of god so there's this dilemma that sets up when you've got this holy perfect absolute sublime god who cannot look upon or tolerate sin and all of us every one of us except for christ has missed the mark and is deserving of god's wrath for all eternity that's the God that this scripture is talking about. Not the God that pop culture would decide this is who God is and he approves about anything we like as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else and all that kind of stuff. No, this is a holy, just God who in one instance, he created everything we see in six days. He spoke this world into being. He created it all. He created every star in the heavens, every molecule of gas in the universe. He knows every star by name and he holds it in place by his mighty power. And that God, that's who this is. This is the one true, awesome, creator, only God. That ought to just stop us in our tracks. For God, whoa, let that sink in for a minute. For God, so loved. This is where D.A. Carson helps me a little bit. He, and I don't have time to break it up and get into all of it. You can look, there's a little book by D.A. Carson, The Love of God, and you can, you can find it. So look, I guess like 90 pages maybe. But he talks quickly here about sort of three kinds of love we see in the scripture that God has. One is the love that Jesus and the Father have for one another. And it's very, very, very powerful and Jesus speaks of it many times and and we could go through even the book of John and see places where the Father and the Son express their love for one another. How much the Father loves the Son, how much the Son loves the Father. And obviously, I mean, 
that's a wonderful relationship between the two. And then, and, 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 and Jesus obviously is, is he's, he's perfect. We'll talk about that if we, hopefully in a few minutes. He's perfect. He is, he is the Son of God. So in that relationship, there's this wonderful, wonderful love that goes back and forth between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This, the triune God is perfectly content in, in himself. And, and the love that, that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father is a love that they, they, they both, that they're, they're, they're absolutely, completely one. There's no brokenness in that relationship. And then there's another love that we see throughout the Scripture, and we're going to see it here in a minute, that he loved the world. And there's a, a sense in which God loves his creation. He loves what he's created. It is good, and he loves it. He loves it so much that he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. And the sun shines on the good and on the evil. Even on his enemies, God blesses with things. They call that common grace. There's a love of God he has for the whole world. And you've heard me talk about it before. If God were ever to remove his common grace from the world, as bad as we think the world is now, it would be unlivable if God's common grace weren't here. But then there's another love that just blows us away. So God so loved the world. And when he's talking about the world here, and John uses the word world in his gospel to mean humanity. Not creation so much as humanity. He, he came into the world and the world received him not, is what John says, right? And by that he doesn't mean the squirrels and the rocks. He means the people, all right? So, so when, when John's using the word world, he's using the word really humanity, us. So we know God loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. We know God, in, in, in that common grace, loves his creation and it is good. But what really blows us away is God so loved this world, humanity, us, his enemies, those who've turned our back on him, even those who curse him. It's one thing for the Father to love the Son. It's another thing for the Father to love sort of benign creation. But for the Father to love his enemies, that's what this is talking about. Those who've offended him. As we said, he's a holy and perfect and just God. Can't look upon sin or have anything to do with sin. It has every right and needs to totally annihilate sin. And yet here we are, every one of us, not one single one of us on this planet is, is without sin. And yet God chooses to love us, his enemies. That's powerful. For God so, God, the God of all the universe, so loved with a love for those of us who are opposed to him and opposed to his righteousness that he gave he gave another way we could again if i had time you could look in the book of john and see that the word giving the word sending he sent his only son right in fact if you just take a quick look in verse 17 john three seventeen, for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world well you say what's the difference well it, yes he gave his son but he he sent his son it was it was a task it was a it was a command it was and again, when John Piper shared this, said, try to wrap our minds around this. As a parent, you have mortal enemies who would desire to kill you. They're complete, you know, this, Paul says that we are, we are enemies of God by our nature. So you have these mortal enemies. If you're a parent, you have these mortal enemies that desire to kill you and need to be punished for what they've done. And instead of punishing them for the things they've done against you, you come to your only child and you say, I have a task I want you to do. I want to send you somewhere, and I want you to suffer and die for these people who are my enemies. I don't want you to condemn them. I don't want you to punish them. I want you to suffer and die for them. This son that I love, the son that God loves so much, with so much perfection, that's the very son I want to send in order to rescue those who are my enemies. 
So as Piper says, whatever else you think about God, think of him like that. And whatever else you think about this particular verse, this particular passage, think of it like that. That's the kind of love he has, that he would send his only son. He gave him, but he sent him on this. And, and Jesus said, man, I, I freely give my life. No man, no man takes it from me. I lay down my life a ransom. Jesus was sent on a mission. And the mission was, <laughs> again, God's wrath, sin, a price has to be paid. It'll either be paid in hell or it's paid on the cross, but it's going to be paid. And when Jesus was in the garden and he cried out, Father, let this cup pass from me. And he heard nothing. Centuries before, has God spoke to Abraham and said, take Isaac, your only son, up to the top of this mountain and you need to, you need to kill him. You need to sacrifice him to show me how much you love me. And Isaac had no idea probably what was happening and Abraham had no concept of why God would ask such a thing, but, but he did as God told him to and he got to the mountain. You know, God showed him that there was a ram caught in the thicket that, that he was not to kill his son. But there was a time when the father did take a son to the top of the hill and there was no ram in the thicket. He did kill his son for you and for me. And so this beautiful picture here, of the love of God for people who are his enemies so much that he not only gave, but he sent, as John 3.17 says, he sent his only son. And his only son came and, and not only came and lived a sinless life, but died a substitutionary death so that, that our, pen, our sin penalty would not be paid in hell for us, but was covered on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave. And then his only son... This is really helpful, again, from people I've read and studied this week. You know, I I grew up in in North America. You did too. Most of you have grown up right here in the Midwest, and the idea of the Son of God just seems really natural to us. We don't even think about that phrase. God's only Son and Son of God. But for much of the world, Muslim world and other religions, they look at that and they would say, well, that means God must have had sex with Mary or sex with a goddess. If he had a child, God must have, there's something strange. How do you deal with that? Of course, again, in our minds, we've grown up with that terminology. We don't think in those ways. But you understand, if you never heard about that and you say, well, God has a son, well, he must have a wife or a bride or something. What, what is this? And so to understand the son, great way to go back and just look at John chapter 1. He absolutely clarifies it for us in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And in dealing with those maybe from other religions and other faiths who may question you about how can God have a son unless he has a a bride or a wife or a goddess, what's this about? Well, John deals with it. Square on. Powerful, important words for us to have. Meaningful, foundational for the Trinity, all right? He clarifies it right here. In the beginning was the Word. That's God. In the beginning. Now, what's the beginning? I don't know. God never had a beginning. He never had it. He said, how is that possible? I don't know. I do remember one time my son asked me that question when he was five or six years old, and he was having a real hard time with it. You know, he was kind of at that age where he was learning about things linear, and how can something not have a beginning and not have an end? I don't know. But you know, at that time, we had some little hamsters in his room, and I remember going and getting one of the little hamsters and bringing it out and, and uh, you know, uh, it's kind of a stupid analogy, but I'm not that bright. And so we were playing Nintendo or Super Nintendo or something, and I just set the little hamster by the Super Nintendo, and I said, I want you to explain to this hamster how Super Nintendo works. That's similar to God trying to explain to you and me in our mortal flesh how he has always been and always will be. We don't have any way conceptually to deal with that. We just have to accept it, that God always has. He has no beginning. He has no ending. In the beginning... 
was the word when the world began, when God created the world, the word was already here. All right, so he predates us, predates creation of the world. In the beginning was the word, God, and the word was with God. Jesus was there at the beginning. There never was a time when Jesus was not here. He was not created in, 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 in Mary's womb. God is a person. He's not just a force. He's a person. He, 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 he relates. He related to Adam and Eve and spoke to them. God is a person. But even in the creation, he was not there alone. He was, the son was there. Jesus was there. He was there. The word was with God. Distinct and different in a sense. Again, the Trinity. But you have to understand who the son is. The son has always been with the father. And the word was with God. In the beginning, with God, all things were made through him. Without them, nothing was made. In him was life, and life was the light of all men. So we see that when Jesus is the son, he's not a created son. He didn't have to come into being on Christmas Eve. He's always been with the Father, as has the Holy Spirit. And again, just like you and I can't understand the, 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 the depth and the expression of God having no beginning and no end, we can't understand what it means. Any, any description of the Trinity is not a good description of the Trinity. You can't do that. We do know there's one God, and he's God the Father, distinct. God the Son, distinct. God the Holy Spirit, distinct, but one God. And they've all been there forever, and they'll all be there forever. So when we see the Son, he was sent from heaven. We talk about, he, I often say, he, he, he left his royal robes and wrapped himself in human flesh. You think of it in those terms. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit have such deep love and affection for others. It's, it's, it's this wonderful picture that all of the glory and the beauty of creation is an expression of the Trinity's love for itself. And God had such love for the Son, but we had sinned so egregiously and were such enemies with God. The only way he could rescue the world, fallen humanity, was to send his Son that he's always had and always loved on a special mission to die. For God so loved the world. God, the holy God, the one God, the true God, the just God, loved the world that hated him, that despised him, that turned their back on him, that rejects him, so loved the world that he gave, he sent, the one who's been with him for all eternity, that he loves dearly, his only son, that whosoever. There is a condition in John 3.16. You know, we, we don't want to use it as a universalistic statement that nobody's going to go to hell. That's just the opposite. God's invitation is to all. The gospel is open to all. But here's the condition. The whosoever believes. Now, that's an important word. What do we mean when we say we believe? Well, whosoever is there are some who will and some who won't. And if you don't, it doesn't mean God doesn't love his creation. God didn't send his son to redeem his creation. But you must believe. And if you don't, then you won't. And we'll talk about perishing Next week, whosoever believes, and this is where, again, Piper's inference on this was so helpful to me. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I just love the way he said. Using the word believe and receive interchangeably in the book of John. I love that. The only believe means to receive. It doesn't just mean intellectual assent. The Satan and the demons believe, don't they? 
But likely, how many times have we talked about, even in the few weeks I've been with you recently, where we've talked about where Jesus talks to the Pharisees. He says, you say you know God, and they knew more about God than any people on the face of the earth, Yahweh God. But Jesus said, you don't know him because you don't believe in me. You don't know me. If you don't know me, you don't know the Father. So to believe, what's it mean to believe? It means to receive. To believe, to receive. He was in the world, and the world, this is verse, John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made known through him, yet he did not, they did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, ready, did not receive him. Believing and receiving. It's not just that you have a mental assent that you have this belief in Jesus. Believing there means to receive him. Because John says in chapter 1, they received him not. And this is where, what Piper said was so helpful to me. What's it mean to receive somebody? And we've all been guilty, maybe not all of us, I shouldn't say all of us, but many of us have said, I received Jesus. Okay, well, I received a package from Amazon the other day. It didn't mean all that much to me. I received the guy to come and fix the plumbing in my house, and I sent him to the basement because he needs to needs fix, but he doesn't mean all that much to me. And that's how some of us, I think, treat Christ. I received him as a ticket out of hell. What's it mean to receive him? Well, we could spend a long time on that, but let's, for sake of time... Let's quickly look at Matthew, if you want to just listen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Is he your treasure? It's one thing for me to receive a package from Amazon. I might be happy it came and rip it open and like it. It's another thing for me to receive my grandchildren when they come to my door. You follow me? I think we have to be careful of what we call easy believism. Oh, I take this verse, whoever believes. I believe, now I can go live however I want. If you live however you want and you don't feel repentant of your sin and you don't desire him, then you don't treasure him. If you don't treasure him, you've not received him as your treasure, as the joy of your life. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. Eat here, drink here. Is he the one that satisfies your needs and your hunger and your desires? Or do you find yourself constantly going to other places to have those needs satisfied? Yes, all, it's open to all who will believe, receive, treasure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whosoever believes in him. What a glorious truth. There isn't one of us here that could do anything to earn our salvation. It started out with God who saw our predicament and sent his most loved and treasured, his own son, to do what we cannot do so that our sin would be paid for on the cross and not in hell for all eternity. And our response is to see that love, acknowledge our sin, receive and believe and treasure Jesus. And if we do that, we have eternal life.